Today, Chris Vernon and I look back on the Bucks and the Chiefs and their victories on championship weekend, and we take a look at some of the betting odds for the Super Bowl and break the game down. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Wednesday is Warren Sharp. Warren! Chris, we only have one game left, but I must tell you, we're going to start with this. Before we get into dissecting what happened on Championship Weekend, I thought of you right after the last game ended. And do you want to know what the first thought that went through my mind was? And this is, we may end up saving this. You may not want to tell me now. But I thought, is Warren going to hedge? The first show we did here, you said Chiefs to win the Super Bowl is a great value. It was one of the few things that you said on the show, and you said, here are the numbers. I think this is a great value. And as the weeks went on, that value went down a little bit. But if anybody listened to you in week one, they're holding on to a Chiefs win the Super Bowl ticket. And I thought, I wonder if he's going to recommend what to do with that. What do you do? Do you let the Chiefs winning ticket ride? Well, I think we'll definitely touch on it um, next uh, next Wednesday so that we give people final advice or or even the Friday before. But um, I will say I did get a, off a little bit of that ticket on the Buffalo Bills last week. Um, so uh, instead of making 4X, we're now going to make 3X. Mm. Um, but we do stand to gain a good price on that. And... Uh, yeah, there's going to be some interesting opportunities. I could tell you <laughs> something personally I did. So um, as you know, I'm in Virginia. And uh, one of the things that I ended up doing, um, so a lot of these places that started legalization, I'm not going to mention any of their names because they're not giving me anything for it. Um, but uh, they have bonuses. You know, you put you put a certain amount of money in and then you can get a free bet. Mm-hmm. So you had the bet, uh, the maximum on the free bet was a dime. Okay. So a thousand dollars. So what I did is I started looking at, obviously I put in more than that, but I was like, okay, I got this thousand dollar free play. What what am I going to use it on? And you could use it on anything straight, right? Like I could have just bet the chiefs last week to win that game, or I could have bet the chiefs to win the super bowl, or I could bet any team to win the super bowl if I wanted to. Uh, But what I ended up doing before the games kicked off uh, last week was I bet an exact Super Bowl matchup. I wanted to try to bet the MVP of the Super Bowl, but uh, they didn't have those up at this spot. So, but they did have exact Super Bowl matchups, which ended up paying out better than the MVP would have anyways for the team I was going for, which was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I ended up putting the the dime at a plus 750 on the exact Super Bowl result would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. So now I have a free play going with $1,000 of free money, which I'll get back if it doesn't work. But uh, now I've got Tampa Bay to win this game. Basically, it's Tampa Bay money line. But now I've got uh, a dime to win uh, 7500 7, So um, from my own personal perspective, I'm pretty good on that <laughs> right now. But in terms of... In terms of um, in terms of recommendations, I will absolutely have some ideas and thoughts on what to do for everybody who bet uh, the Chiefs at some point earlier in the season with futures. Are you typically always a, if you've got a winning ticket in your hand, hedge it, figure out a way to win either way? Or are you, in some cases, let it ride? No, absolutely. Some cases are, are certainly let it ride. Um, okay. You know, like I, I actually bet a long shot uh 
on the Rams to win the Super Bowl, and I let it ride in the first round, mm. uh, the playoffs when they beat and upset the Seattle Seahawks. So there's certain times when you do want to let things ride, and um, or there's no real great way to hedge. So there's yeah. like two reasons you would let it ride. Either you you want to let it ride financially, or there's not a perfect way to hedge, and so you just decide to let it ride as a result of that. Okay, let's get to how these teams got there and your biggest takeaway first from Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay has now, it's been a long time since they lost a game. You and I, I tweeted about this uh, on Sunday night. You and I were doing a show after, I believe it was week 12 when Tampa Bay had fallen to 7-5. and five, And I said at the beginning of the show, like there was this Tampa-Kansas City game and at the end of the game, Romo surprised me by saying, Jim, I, I think that we could see these two teams playing again. I really thought Tampa figured some stuff out. And we had this discussion about, did Tampa really figure stuff out or were they just getting their ass beat and, and the Chiefs kind of took their foot off the gas and that's why that score ended up being that score at the end. Tampa has, in Romo's defense, Tampa has not lost a game since, so they did figure something out. Um, and here they are with Tom Brady appearing in the Super Bowl. Your biggest takeaway from what we saw in that NFC championship game for and how Tampa ended up in the Super Bowl. Well, it was interesting. You know, as I'm looking down through uh through what they did throughout the course of the rest of the regular season after that game, I mean they were they have won every single game through the rest of the regular season, but they were not winning these games because they were playing teams that should actually be able to compete with them. They were five to seven to twelve and a half point favorites in in all of these games to close the season. Anytime during the season that they were projected to be in a close game, um, with the exception of the Packers in week six, they didn't fare very well at all. So if you look uh, week one, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were an underdog to the Saints. They lost that game. The next closest game, I'll, let's look at anything that was under a four-point favorite. Three-and-a-half-point favorite at the Chicago Bears week five. They lost that game. Then they have the game against the Packers, which they won. Then they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite against the Saints week nine. They lose that game. Then they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite against the Rams week 11. They lose that game. Then they're a three-and-a-half-point underdog against the Chiefs, which we were talking about the Romo game. They lose that game. And the rest of the regular season, they're favored by large margins. So every like close game, any game that was less than four points, they did not prevail in those games until you got to the playoffs. And you had the game against the Saints, and you had the game against the Packers. And they were underdogs in both those games on the road and won both of those games. Um They've, they've like looking at one of my things. I was, uh, I tracked a uh, key metric. I've done it for years called early down success rate, which was a metric I kind of coined the name for. It's not just looking at success rate on early downs. There's a couple of other um, computations that I'm doing on this. And I'm looking at uh, how much of an edge you have in a particular game because it's very correlated to wins or losses in the NFL. If you beat your opponent in early down success rate in a game, you're going to stand to win that game, especially in the playoffs, at a tremendous rate. And they actually lost the early down success rate battle in both of their playoff games. Uh, they had a massive boon. They were great at early down success the last three weeks of the regular season against the Falcons twice and the Lions. That was when they were passing a lot on early downs and they were able to move the sticks and, and not go to third down. But in the playoffs, they've reverted right back to where they were and they lost the early down success rate battle against the Saints and the Packers by pretty large margins. But I believe that they were plus four in turnovers in both those games. I can't recall offhand what they were against the Packers last week right now, um, whether they had four takeaways or no, they they actually didn't because Brady threw been, three interceptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so they didn't they didn't win the turnover battle by that amount that margin against the Packers. Um but they were significantly outplayed on early downs. They got the job done by third down production. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate here, okay? Much like the Matt LaFleur kicking a field goal with 210 left um, to go down five. Um, you know, and I've seen some of the different analytics for that to make it look like it's not nearly as stupid 
as it sounds. Um, much like that, what if I say to you, Warren, Warren, I get it. I understand the numbers, but that simply, I don't care about the analytics when it comes to Tom Brady. And much like I would never give him the ball with 210 left, needing to get a first down or two in order to win a game, um, he's a different dude on third and long. Like, that's why he's Tom Brady. And so you can say that these teams didn't have the success rate on early downs, but look at their success rate on third downs. And that's kind of been his mode of operation for 20 years is it's not bad to have Tom Brady in a third and seven. And that is unlike almost anybody else. What do you say to that? Okay, so to that I say that this is not what he's... He's been good on third downs, but his teams for years have not put him in these situations. The New England Patriots offense, not in 2019 when they were terrible, but in years prior to that when they were actually having success, they were one of the most efficient early down offenses in the NFL. They would bypass third downs at a pretty high rate. They trusted Tom. They threw the ball. And again, you got to get rid of like fourth quarters when they're up big and they're running the ball a lot on these early downs. They, they are great. At, they were always very good at being efficient, one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL and bypassing these third downs. The problem fundamentally with just banking on Tom on third downs is it's a very, it's, it's a lot, it's high variance. And it typically, typically, I know Tom is built different, is not sustainable. So here's the other factor going up against the, the, the Chiefs. And let me just take this to a very close to home point for the people that watched that game against the Green, Green Bay Packers this very last weekend. Um, go back to the first quarter of those games. The Packers run the ball on five of six first downs in the first quarter. Okay, five of six is a run play. Defenses know they're running the football. That's why those runs typically aren't very successful. Those runs on first down gain 2.2 yards per carry. I won't even get into the success rate stuff. To, to It was 20%, but let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about yards per carry. So then they have to pass the ball on second and third down. Now, I told you that they had six first downs. They ran it on five. They also had six third downs, which means they never once skipped a second down or a third down by getting a first down on first or second down. They're always getting forced into third down. Tom Brady goes five of six on these third downs. His conversion rate is absolutely absurd. Um, and they're including the touchdown pass to Mike Evans in the back of the end zone. That type of stuff is not very sustainable long-term, okay? I know it's Tom Brady, but now look at the matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs for the Super Bowl because that's all we should really care about right now. The Kansas City Chiefs third down defense ranks number three in the NFL when the offense has six to 10 yards to go. So the third and short situations where the opposing offense can run or pass you could do that a little bit against the Chiefs. You can convert some of those. But when you're in third and obvious passing situations where Tampa finds themselves somewhat regularly and now they're asking Tom Brady to convert for them, that's not going to work quite as well against one of the very best defenses in the NFL. And Steve Spagnolo is a tremendously gifted defensive play caller who doesn't have the most talented unit, and that unit certainly has their weaknesses, but he always seems to come up with stuff that frustrates the offense, that confuses them, and they step up at the exact right moments to have success. And that's what they've been able to do so far this, this postseason. And I'm just concerned that that's going to have a little bit of uh, get some of the tarnish off of what Tampa, uh, Tampa Tom has been able to do on third downs for the Buccaneers. Today's Ringer NFL show is brought to you by FanDuel. Celebrate the 55th edition of the big game with exclusive 55 to 1 odds on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never tried FanDuel before, new users can bet on either team and get 55 to 1 odds when the Bucks play the Chiefs. That's right. You can bet 5 bucks and win 275 bucks if you pick the winner of the big game on February 7th. I'm leaning bucks right now, but we got a lot of thinking to do over the course of the next couple of weeks, and it doesn't look like this line's going to change. 
all that much. So either way, look, you're getting 55 to 1 value. Uh, I've been betting football on FanDuel all season long. I love FanDuel. It's very, very easy. They've got the one-game parlays. They've got live betting as the game is going on. And they got great lines. FanDuel Sportsbook is now live in Michigan and Virginia. Really easy to use. Super fast withdrawals usually pay as little as 24 hours, and they've got all kinds of odds boost and specials. Uh, they've got player props. They've got futures. Everything you're looking for is going to be there on the FanDuel Sportsbook, especially for the big game. Those odds boost and specials are going to be going on. The live betting is going to be going on. Even that same game parlay on the big game. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use the promo code SHARP to get started. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code SHARP. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, West Virginia, or Virginia. New users only must wager a designated boost market. Must wager on designated boost market. $10 deposit required. Max bonus $275. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 4700. In Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. You can call the Tennessee Red Line in Tennessee at 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, so obviously not super impressed with the Buccaneers and how they won their game against the Packers. That being said, how much do you blame? You spent a, a large amount of the year, um, you know, talking about coaches and the decisions that they make. Matt LaFleur has been in the spotlight for what happened in that game. Where are you on the LaFleur decisions? Most specifically, the one that everyone has criticized roundly, which is the kicking the field goal down by eight to cut the lead to five. I don't think it was a smart decision at all. And I think the numbers bear that out. But I also think that there's a fundamental um, problem with the thought process that you're going to be able to march the football all the way back down the field to try to score again. It, do it just doesn't, it just did not make any sense. You're going to need a touchdown anyways. And in this situation, late in the game, you absolutely have to go for the points there. The bigger thing to me, and, and that's, I mean, I guess the kick was bigger than this notion, but what preceded that kick was the bigger issue to me. And that was a fundamental lack of communication between the person that's in charge of kick or go decision-making and the person that's calling the plays. Now, you would think in this case, oh, well, it's Matt LaFleur. He's the coach. He decided to kick, and he's also the play caller. But no, that's not the case because Aaron Rodgers called the play on third down. He said, I was the one who called the play on third down, and I didn't know that we were not going to go for it on fourth down. So I assumed we were going to go for it on fourth down. I called this play on third down, and then, and then all of a sudden, the big linemen in the kick protection unit start running onto the football field and there's nothing I can do about it and we're going for the field goal and we're, it's, it's over. Working with several play callers in the NFL, it is vital from a sequencing perspective, from a strategical perspective, to have a firm understanding if you are in go position, ideally before first down. Like I, I would have wanted to know what our philosophy was before first down, there's I know like the time is not the exact same, but we got we got four minutes left in this game. 
are we going for it or not when we're when we're here? We're, we got first and 10 at, let's say, the 10-yard line or 12-yard line or 15-yard line. Are we going for it or are we settling for a field goal here? So I know if I've got all four downs in my arsenal to call plays to try to convert this into a first down and then a touchdown eventually. And Aaron Rodgers was unaware completely on first down, on second down, and even on third down, whether or not he was going to have a play on fourth down that they were going to be allowed to run. So I just thought that was terrible coaching before even the decision to kick the field goal. Yeah, and I look at it like, all right, it is a different decision dependent upon who is on the other side. I mean, I really think that. If if you're going up against not Tom Brady, (laughs) I could at least see how it could be defensible. But to me, this is like, it is the equivalent of uh, I'm down by one against uh, the, uh, the the 90s Bulls and I've got a chance to go win the game and I shoot the game winner and make it, uh, I shoot my last shot with 10 seconds left to go, to go up by one instead of shooting it at the buzzer, right? And so now, I'm giving the ball to Michael Jordan with 10 seconds left and I'm up by one. What the fuck do I think is going to happen? Right? Like to me, that's the equivalent. Like you've given the ball back to Tom Brady. What did you think? Like he's, he's been winning that game for 20 years. He's winning that game. Like that's what you can't do. And the bigger part of this, Warren, forget the catastrophe that it was within the context of the game. Outside of the game, like, what if that costs them Aaron Rodgers? They can do all this speak in public right now about how, you know, Aaron's going to be here and whatever else. They, I, I was watching Adam Schefter the other day, and he's out there reporting, like, this is Aaron's decision. You know what I mean? If Aaron wants to be a Packer, Aaron's going to be a Packer. If Aaron doesn't want to be a Packer, right, he's going to force their hand to, for him to not be a Packer anymore. Like, what if that is, though, the the breaking point? Like, forget losing the NFC championship, if that runs off Aaron Rodgers, this then in that context, like outside of the context of the game goes down as one of the worst decisions in NFL history. Seriously. If, if he ends up going somewhere else, because much like Brady just turned the team into a Super Bowl, uh, tight, uh, you know, uh, a Super Bowl opponent, like Aaron Rodgers could do that. If he went to another team, it's possible that he could go and turn a team into a Super Bowl caliber team just by his mere presence. And so, well, it's not just it's not just his presence. Like at at, at a certain point, then you've got the well, let's join Aaron in 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 wherever he yeah. is, right? So you've got other players that are like, let's go win one with this guy. And that's the biggest thing about Tom Brady going to Tampa. Um, it's 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 Tom going there. But it's now all of a sudden the culture, the culture wherever Tom goes is Tom. Like the the culture on the team changes in a split second because Tom is there and now we've got a shot to win the Super Bowl. And so you watch what Tom does. You watch how he behaves, how he acts at practice, how he's motivated, how he's driven, how he's focused. And it's impossible for the culture to not flip on a dime overnight and then you've got like your Rob Gronkowski who wants to come down there too. And and they didn't really, they already had a great core of, of players. They didn't really have to attract that many new ones, but a variety of different teams, like that's exactly what could happen. It's what happens to New England in the past where guys are willing to go there for less money. Um, and so if, if Aaron went somewhere for and set up shop for several years, right? He's obviously younger than Tom Brady. You're inevitably going to have some guys that want to go play with him uh, for for a little bit cheaper price if they've got a shot at winning a Super Bowl. So you look back at that Packers season and they get there right to the precipice again and then now they're not appearing in the Super Bowl. They only, they've won, with Aaron Rodgers, they've won one NFC Championship game. They have lost four. Um, what do we make of this Packers season and why they're not playing in the Super Bowl, in your opinion? Everybody thought that they were going to regress in some capacity this season. If you look at what the win total was forecast at, if you look at what all the people in the offseason were looking at, their uh, single 
um, score wins was from last year and how they were like nine and one. And this is something that's going to regress and they can't be good next season. It's just impossible for this team to win as many one score games next season. And they end up getting all the way to the NFC championship game um, in 2020. This to me was a tremendous success. I know for them, they wanted to take the next step. And I think where it probably became a failure for them was the fact that they earned the number one overall seed in the NFC and they got to host the NFC championship game at Lambeau. And it was something Aaron Rodgers had put a lot of stock into wanting to do. And when they were able to do that, it was like, okay, now we've got a shot at the Super Bowl. And the fact that they didn't get there to the Super Bowl, I think made it a failure for them with that number one overall seed. But for me and probably for a lot of other people out there that actually aren't Packers fans, I think we were extremely impressed by what the Green Bay Packers were able to do this year and how they performed overall. I thought the play calling, I thought the changes that Aaron Rodgers made. I mean, I'm going to be working on my book uh, in a couple of weeks. I'm going to start writing it. I'll be researching stuff for months before I actually publish it, really digging into a lot of the intricacies of what Matt LaFleur was doing from a play calling perspective, because they got a lot better from when they were uh, in, in 2019, from play calls to execution. Aaron Rodgers made some fundamental changes with some of his mechanics. I saw him talking uh, yesterday, I think it was, on the Pat McAfee show about how he was sinking into some throws with his hips. He worked a lot on his lower body this offseason. He was watching some film of himself in practices, I think in like the 2011, 2010 seasons. And he saw how he was sinking into his hitch and like getting a lot of power off of that. And it was helping with his timing on different uh, passes that he was throwing. And when he throws with proper timing, his accuracy improves tremendously. And so he was working on lower body strength and core strength. And that really made a big difference this past season. So to me, their season was a massive success and, and absolutely a big improvement over what the sports books and most betters decided, you know, was going to be the fate of this team before the season started. As we put a bow on the NFC, do you think the best team in the NFC is the Bucs? Do you think that they have their best team representing that conference in the in the Super Bowl? Yes, I, I, I would. I, I'm reserved when I say that because I think this team can actually be better. Um, I truly do. I think if they improve some of their play calling, they could be even better. Um, take some of the burden off of Tom Brady for having to be perfect on these third downs. And I think that they could be better. But overall, I think the way that they're peaking and, and getting better, we knew, I mean, it's very difficult to have a team with all these changes um, in a pandemic season. So we probably had some understanding that this team would get better later in the year, but they absolutely have improved down the stretch. And so where they are right now, I would say yes. You know, there there were some... And we haven't talked about Todd Bowles and, and the job that... That defense, you know, there's the two Brady picks and that defense has come up huge over and over again for Tampa. I, I was actually... I saw a video yesterday uh, it was from early in the season and it was Christian McCaffrey getting tackled by Devin White. And McCaffrey gets up. It's one of those like mic'd up deals. And he says to him, you know, you're the best. You're the best we have in the league right now. And Devin well, White says, I didn't said, see that. Hey, and Devin White says, I know. <laughs> but I mean, like, and you get overshadowed by, uh, and he had, what, 14, 15 tackles in this game the other day. Like, everything is about Tom Brady and about, you know, uh, uh, Tampa and the offense and, you know, Godwin and Evans and even Scotty Miller and Antonio Brown. People can reel off these guys, play off Lenny. It's always about their offense. Everything that gets talked about is their offense. And yet they've got this guy, Devin White, who is like as good as anybody um, as, as a linebacker and the defense and the defensive coordinator that have really, they've showed up when it's mattered most. They really have, whether it's big plays or whether it's getting huge stops. And they were all over Roger's ass on Sunday, all over him. Yeah, they were. I mean, even their four-man pressures were able to get home. And, and that's one of the things like when we talk about, is this the best team in the NFC? Um, I say yes. Uh, but 
that obviously is handicapping the fact that Drew Brees was playing with all these injuries late in the season and Mike Mike uh his his wide receiver one Michael Thomas was was injured and is getting off-season surgery and he only came back just so that he could play in Drew's final game and uh or what's presumed to be Drew's final game and so the, like uh Green Bay was without a key tackle, you know, David Bakhtiari. And so these things end up adding up. Like at the end of the season, some of these things end up adding up. That's why it's going to be fascinating to look at the Kansas City Chiefs who are without both of their tackles now that started the season. When you look at Mitchell Schwartz and you look at uh, Fisher, those guys are both out for this Super Bowl game. And that's going to be a big edge for this defensive line. And Todd Bowles has done a good job. You know, they have done an excellent job. And uh, getting pressure is important because I think that this Tampa Bay defense is susceptible in their secondary. I think that they um, are very ball-oriented and they like to jump routes and they're very aggressive. But I think that from a talent perspective, you could beat these guys. You could find edges against these guys. But if you're getting pressure quickly, like they were able to do against Aaron Rodgers very frequently, it it's becomes a challenge um, to try to work the ball down the field. And so you're not going to be able to have a lot of success running the football against these guys. And you're going to have to resort to the pass. But if you're looking at deeper dropbacks and deeper routes, you're going to struggle if that defensive line is able to get at you. And that's exactly what they were able to do against Aaron Rodgers. And it'll be interesting to see if they're able to have any similar success against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, let's talk about that AFC championship. We knew that it was going to be a tremendous chore for the Buffalo Bills defensively. That being said, the the two guys that are the guys that make that offense so devastating, uh, Mahomes weapons-wise, are Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And both of them went all the way the hell off on Sunday, Warren. I mean, the Bills... It, you know, and, and Romo was talking during the game, you know, it can't be both of them, right? You got to like one of the, you got to be able to slow down one of these guys. And it's fascinating to think about that Bucks defense in relation to uh, what we saw just on Sunday. If it wasn't a touchdown, it was a field goal. And, and that goes back to even the week before prior to Mahomes going out and Henny having to come in, you know, the Chiefs are scoring like every damn time they have the ball, their, their punter gets no work. Um, and what did you make of the bills? Uh, if you love field goals, you loved what they did on offense, but more importantly, defensively. And the fact that, you know, Tyree kill has, you know, he, he, it looked like he could have had 300 yards in the game. He ends up having 180 something. And, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey hits his receptions over before we even get to halftime of that game. So what did you make of the Bills and what ended up being a rather feeble attempt at slowing down the, the Chiefs? There's a couple of things that stand out to me in this game. The, the first thing is, it, it as most things do, it comes down to what you can do inside the red zone, right? If turnovers are equal, are you scoring touchdowns or are you not? Turnovers were equal in this game. Both team had one. Well, Kansas City, so Kansas City was infinitely worse. Six trips to the Reds. <laughs> no, because I, the, guy, the guy's at the one yard line. I mean, it gave it gave Buffalo literally a touchdown. 
Correct. That was that was a that was a terrible. Uh, I mean, the Bills got extremely fortunate on that on that uh, first touchdown of the game yeah. in the first quarter. No doubt about it. Um, six trips to the red zone for the Chiefs. Five touchdowns. Five trips to the red zone for the Bills. Close to being as good. Only two touchdowns. And you you just can't allow that to happen, especially because what was very interesting leading up into the game is that the Kansas City Chiefs had the worst red zone defense in the NFL. Down the stretch, there was no team with a worse red zone defense, and yet the Bills are only scoring two times out of five. And there's somebody out there, I don't know, probably in the 80s who coined the phrase, um, any drive that ends with a kick is a good drive, right? Any drive that ends with a kick like because they didn't like turnovers or some nonsense. The Buffalo Bills in this game had <laughs> had 10 drives, okay? They had four field goals and three punts, right? So that, that, that seven out of their 10 drives ended with a field goal or a punt. And you just can't allow that to happen against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you, you, it's absolutely touchdown or bust. This was like the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl. This is pull out all the stops, empty the chamber, come here, guns blazing. Anything less than the best effort that we can get is going to be a losing effort. Now, the Travis Kelsey bit, you're 100% correct. I mean, I was looking at props and I took a, a small bite of this really long shot one, but it was Travis Kelsey to score a touchdown and have 100 yards receiving. And it was plus 250. And, you know, there there were definitely, um, and I think his receiving prop was like uh, at, at minus 110 was like seven and a half. No, it was like 94 and a half. Sorry, his oh. receiving yards was like 94 and a half. And to score a touchdown, he was favored to do that. I think it was like minus 120 or something like that. But um, yeah, to, to do both would pay you two uh, plus 250. And uh, this is just a bad matchup against the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills linebackers can be exploited. Um, and I'm still digging into exactly how much they were stacking the box and trying to force the Chiefs to become one-dimensional and throw the football because we know that they sat way back in the first meeting and just dared the Chiefs to run the football. And one of the things that we discussed on, on this show and on the Friday show with House was the fact that just because a defensive coordinator plays a certain coverage says, okay, sit back, you know, we, we, we want you to get rid of the ball. We, we want you to hand the ball off to Darrell Williams uh, or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We don't want Patrick Mahomes throwing it. Like, you can't just cave into that if you're Andy Reid. You can't just say, oh, well, this is the coverage they're playing. They're daring us to run, so we're just going to go ahead and do that and still have success. Like, you've got to force the issue. And they absolutely did. Uh, Patrick Mahomes... 29 of 38, 8.6 yards per pass attempt with three touchdowns, only takes one sack. I mean, his foot, like we discussed on, on, on Friday's show, or maybe it was with you, people, all these questions about his foot, his head. And I was like, dude, it's gonna, he's going to be fine. Do not worry about this whatsoever. Now, he didn't run the football. He didn't have, they intentionally didn't have him run the football much. He only had uh, a handful of run plays and he didn't really gain many yards off of those. But um, it was a drop back passing game for him and, and a few selected run plays that were okay. I mean, Darrell Williams gained uh, four yards of carry and Clyde Edwards Hilaire only gained 1.2 yards of carry. But it was a very intelligent game plan from the Kansas City Chiefs. Put the ball in your best player's hand, work the massive mismatches that exist, which is to the tight end. And it's always a mismatch with Tyree Kill, right? So the Bills can't defend tight ends. Tyree Kill is always open, so we're going to hit those two guys. We're going to let Patrick Mahomes throw the ball, figure out a way to stop us. The Buffalo Bills defense couldn't, and then alternatively on offense, the Buffalo Bills got down to the red zone five times, but couldn't punch in any any touchdowns with any type of consistency. They're one of the most devastating tandems in the entire NFL throughout the entire season was Allen and Diggs, and it just never, it never got going, Warren. Like the whole game. And I was I was surprised by that because even though Buffalo, as you mentioned, was getting, you know, they were moving the ball and they were getting the ball down into the red zone and then not converting, it wasn't digs. That wasn't how they were getting there. And that was kind of shocking to me because I had felt like, 
with Buffalo. Um, those guys had had such a connection. And you juxtapose that versus the other side, which is we if, if, if we can slow down Diggs, then we, we've gone a long way towards being able to slow down this team or make it difficult for them to score touchdowns. Um, likewise, on the other side, it's like, you would think if we could slow down Kelsey or if we could throw slow down Tyree Kill. And so the Chiefs, uh, despite, you know, some of their defensive flaws, they were able to take digs out of that game. And the Bills couldn't take either one of the major weapons for the Chiefs out of the game. Yeah, and the Bills, the one interesting thing there was uh, they weren't able to handle the pressure quite as well. You know, the the, the blitzes were coming. And from the Kansas City Chiefs, Kansas City did a lot of this, uh, similar things that they did in that first meeting, and the Buffalo O-line wasn't doing quite as good of a job at, a, at picking those up as I was expecting that they would, and there was pressure getting on Josh Allen, and so that pressure, I mean, he's very flummoxed by pressure. Um, if you look at what he does typically when he's just blitzed, we talked about this leading into the game, if he's just blitzed, he's really good, but if the blitz generates pressure, two different things, or if pressure gets to him through regular four-man rushes, then he's very bad. And we saw that where he was pressured a lot in this game and was very inefficient on those passes when he was pressured. And a lot of those were, were like, he's looking to go down the field. He's looking to go after digs, but pressure's getting to him. And you're right. They didn't really seem to be on point with, um, with some of the passes. And actually, there were a couple of plays early in that game, earlier in that game, rather, um, that should have been interceptions. Josh Allen was throwing the ball down the right side of the field, looking to target some of his favorite guys. And uh, and they were just errant passes that should have been intercepted, but the DBs uh, just couldn't secure them. All right. So what if I take a step back and I say, all right, we've talked about the flaws of Tampa Bay and kind of the holes they showed. And same thing goes with the Chiefs. Um, they, you know, we can... If we're just talking about process here rather than result, the, Bill, the Bills moved the ball down the field over and over again. As you said, they, Josh Allen didn't play all that well. And they and and the week before, and I know that maybe it's a totally different world and they just bury the Browns if, if Mahomes doesn't go out, but they didn't. They didn't bury the Browns. The Browns were still in that thing. And that did, what, what, what if I say, all right, the Bills going to the red zone that many times and not cashing in, that tells a real story here about how that what appears to be a juggernaut could be beat because it ain't Baker Mayfield and it ain't Josh Allen. That's not who they're going against now. And if they want to play you know, one of these games where a team's able to get the ball into the red zone and then they've got to buck up and get a stop, they are in for it against Tom Brady, because that's a different deal than going up against the Baker Mayfield or a Josh Allen. Did, in your mind, that show a, a real weakness that could be exploited by a better quarterback? Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, with a more well-rounded team as well. Um, one of the things that the Buffalo Bills could not do, in large part because their number one back was injured, and their O-line just isn't built well enough to pass, uh, to, to run protect. It's one of the kind of the, to run block rather. It's one of the things that, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers were dealing with too. Their offensive line was was older and wasn't good at run blocking. They're good at dropping back and pass blocking, but they're not as good at run blocking. And so um, Buffalo just couldn't run the football nearly as well. Tampa Bay, as much as I hate the inefficiency that comes about their first down runs, um, they are a little bit more balanced. So they should, when you get into the red zone, the most optimal time, Chris, on the football field to run the football is the most optimal time from a down perspective is, is on short yardage down, uh, like a second and short, third and short, as well as down inside the red zone, especially when you spread the field and then you can run the football with a running back. Like, a like the personnel. four net run. Yeah, spread spread them out, throw three wides out there, and then run the football. You also have a massive advantage because you've got Gronk. And Gronk as a tight end is like the best run blocking tight end in the NFL, perhaps right now that we have. And so 
when he's in there as part of your 11 personnel package, you basically have a sixth offensive lineman. And, um, and so you have a massive edge to run down inside of the red zone. Um, and, and so that opens up your playbook a little bit further. For the Buffalo Bills, it was like, okay, well, we can, we can run Josh Allen a little bit down here in the red zone. But if you look at their drive chart, you know, take out the three-yard drive. Uh, yeah, the three-yard drive where they scored a touchdown because they got the turnover on the muffed punt. Um, they, they literally, aside from like a 16-yard field goal that they kicked um, late in the game, they had only one drive that gained less than uh, 26 yards. They had a number of drives that they worked the ball down into uh, the Kansas City Chiefs territory that obviously didn't end up with with anything. They get to the opponents. L- look at these uh, drives to the opponents' yard lines, right? That didn't end in touchdowns, but started on their own territory, right? A drive to the opponent two yard line that ended in a field goal. A drive to the opponent and the opponent in this case obviously is Kansas City Chief. A drive to the opponent two field goal eight. Opponent eight, field goal. Uh, the opponent, 20, interception. The opponent, 33, twice. Both of them were field goals. You know, w- w- these are nice sustained drives that don't end up, they, they, they punted at the opponent 49-yard line. I mean, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, if there's one thing we can say that those guys did really good was remember that decision right before the half to bring Tom Brady back out on the field when it looked like they were going to punt the football it stayed aggressive on a fourth and short, and they end up going for it. They throw a pass to Leonard Fournette. They get it. They call a timeout. Then they end up throwing that deep bomb to Scotty Miller over King, who completely blew the coverage there. That showed the level of aggressiveness that's going to be required to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a Super Bowl. I mean, for Tom Brady, I know they might think the season was a failure if they don't win the Super Bowl, but like this season... You know, we could look at all these teams that made it, right? Green Bay, massive success this season. Buffalo Bills, are you kidding me? Even bigger success than what Green Bay was, right? Even though they it stings and that they lost this game. Massive success. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this will be a massive success this season, even if they don't win the Super Bowl. To be the first team to ever play uh, a, a Super Bowl at home, to get Tom Brady in here, to see what how much they've been able to accomplish in a season with a pandemic this this year. This has been a massive success. For Kansas City, if they lose this game, the season's a failure. I mean, they're the only team that's made it this far that's going to be able to say that. So you could guarantee Andy Reid with extra rest is pulling out all the stops here. And Bruce Arians has got to call this game as if his life depends upon it. Because I guarantee you that's exactly how the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are going to be playing this game. As if their life depends upon it. The other thing that I thought about uh, regarding who the Chiefs have played so far is if you go back to that Cleveland game, I recall you saying uh, one of your criticisms was that while Stefanski has done an unbelievable job this year, they they reined in Baker Mayfield. You talked about the success rate, uh, how successful he was throwing the ball down the field and that, you know, they could have done that more. But I, I I take a step back and I go, all right, that's Baker Mayfield. They were playing against the Chiefs. This is who, again, Tom Brady's going to be playing against. If Baker Mayfield was, I can't even remember what it was. I think you were, you, it was something crazy. It was like eight for 10 it, or something you said, right? Six of seven. Six yeah, of six seven, of, Six of seven. Completes, that, that's Baker. I mean, no offense to Baker Mayfield, but he's not, he, he ain't Tom Brady. And we saw Brady, he had a couple bad picks. Uh, in that game, but he certainly threw the ball down the field a lot. And when you're talking about they gave up that level of success to Cleveland down the field, well, you got better weapons and a better quarterback with this Tampa team. And so there was at least part of me that thought, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, uh, look at that Chiefs team as such a tremendous juggernaut. But just listening to you talk about moves the other team, their opponents could have made. And in the end, they played against Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. Like, I do think there is a real opening here for Bruce Arians and Tom Brady to be able to put up a lot of points. Who knows if it'll be enough, but I think they can score a lot of points on Kansas City. Well, that's the trick, right? Because... Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, we could say what we want about what these guys have done in the past, 
But but Josh Allen was tremendous this season, and Kansas City still really shut him down. So he obviously doesn't have the track record like a Tom Brady does. Doesn't really deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as Tom Brady from his career. But Josh Allen and that Buffalo Bills passing offense was very good this year. And the Kansas City Chiefs did a pretty good job against him. Um, the key to me, and and I've got a lot of work to do, days of of continued analysis to try to get to the final picture of this game. And the reason I can spend so much time is because I have time to spend. Uh, I'm not helping any teams uh, out anymore right now. And uh, we got two weeks until the Super Bowl. So there's the opportunity. Plus, this line is really not moving all that much at this moment. So I got time to dig in a little bit deeper, which I always do at the Super Bowl, to try to uncover some additional angles that we'll share on more pods here with the ringer over the course of the end of this week and then next week when we do a couple more. So I'm going to enjoy sharing some of those takeaways with the listeners. But all I can say is this, at this very moment, one thought that jumps into my mind is if Bruce Arians and Tom Brady throw a curveball at Spagnolo and actually throw the football more on first down, that would really help them out a ton. I already mentioned how great Spagnolo is on these third and long, obvious passing situations at limiting your offense. His secondary played tremendously against Josh Allen. Think about that offense that Buffalo has. I mean, Gabe Davis might not have been quite at 100%, but you got a ton of John Brown and Stefan Diggs. You got uh, Cole Beasley. You got guys out. It's not like you have one number one and nobody else, right? They have a lot of guys. and. Spags had to go and cover all of these guys. So yes, Mike Evans is a stud. And yes, Chris Godwin is a stud. But but Steph Diggs is no slouch either. And I know you got Tom Brady throwing to him. But if you're throwing the ball primarily on obvious passing situations, it's still going to work against you when you got a guy like Spags with a couple weeks to prepare a defense for it. So um, I'm going to be... I do not think right now that there's going to be any change to the strategy, even though I would advise it, any change to the strategy of run first. One of the things that I saw theorized from a guy close to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was that um, one of the reasons that they run the football so much on first down is because that play eats up like 36, 37 seconds. Um, because you, you you run the play, maybe you don't get a whole lot, but you got Tom Brady, like you said, you can convert late, and it's keeping Aaron Rodgers off the football field. Um, it's keeping it's going to keep Patrick Mahomes off the football field. So even if you're not gaining a whole lot, it's it's a benefit. But the issue that I take with something like that is um, obviously the more first downs you pick up, the longer you're going to keep that other team off the football field. So if your focus is primarily on using these first downs as a tool to run the clock that the, you if you fail on third down boom the ball's going back congratulations you you used a little bit more uh, you lose used 40 seconds on first down but the ball is going right back if you don't convert on these third downs whereas if you stay out of third downs convert on early downs and you could play whatever tempo you want at that point you're moving the ball closer to the end zone so if you do fail you're giving it back to Patrick Mahomes in worst field position which doesn't really matter to him because he's going to go the distance so you got to get closer to the end zone so that you can score points I mean, you you want to bypass third downs to do that. So I think the smarter strategy is to be more efficient and work the ball down the field quickly. But that's going to be the biggest thing is, is what strategy the Bucs choose to take. Um, and then also how much pressure that four-man rush can get or when they blitz can get on Patrick Mahomes, whose foot is going to be fully healed. And what is Todd Bowles' defense going to do uh, how are they going to change up things? Because what they did the first game against Kansas City did not work in the secondary, where they're like, we're just going to play our defense. You try to beat us. Like Tyreek Hill, I think the dude had like, what, 150 plus yards in the first quarter of the game? I mean, it was absolutely insane the yardage that Tyreek Hill had in the first quarter. So they, they need to figure out a better strategy to deal with him. And I think that's going to take a little bit of work on that side of the ball. Last thing before we get out of here today. Was the line what you thought it would be? Do you think it will move uh, some or a lot? And as of our recording right now, uh, on this Wednesday, who's the money coming in on? Has any big money come in on either side? 
Well, there's been a little bit of money that's obviously come in on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was not surprised whatsoever with the number, though, um, from from a side perspective. From a total perspective, um, I was a little bit surprised at how high this total was. And we took a tiny bite at the under 57. Now, that does not mean that that's going to be my final position on the total. It mm. just means that we like the under 57. Um, the model showed that the total should be a little bit lower than that. And the, the, the line has dropped now. It's down to 56 at a lot of spots, 56 and a half at other spots. Um, but again, that does not mean that that is going to be what my final position is um, from, from a, a total or on the side. Haven't done anything with the side. Um, and again, the da- it was just a mere dabbling on the total uh, at 57. I think that this number should end up staying pretty close to what it is. Um, I truly do. I think a lot of the public's going to ultimately come in on the Kansas City Chiefs here. I think the sharp money that has been betting on Tampa Bay every single week during the course of these playoffs is inevitably coming right back on Tampa Bay. And I think they're going to be taking um, Tampa Bay plus the points. Now, I will tell you that there's always a discrepancy that we see in the Super Bowl. And sometimes you see it in some of these other games where you get um, a lot of money being wagered by the public on standalone games where it makes more sense to bet the favorite on the money line and the underdog with the points because a lot of what the public tries to do is they come in here and they say, uh, especially guys that only bet a couple times a year or want to bet a lot of money and, and are betting on the Super Bowl and don't typically bet sides. They're looking at this game. They're saying, hmm, I can get plus 150 by betting Tampa Bay on the money line. I, I'd rather lay 150 than, than have to uh, take them with the points and not, you know, and, and have a much worse payout. So they bet the dog with the payday. Um, and so that's why there's a little bit of value. Then the public that wants to bet the side, they're not looking at the side and they're not saying, hey, I want to bet Kansas City money line. I'll give you $170 to win 100. They just want to lay the three. And so you've got a lot of the public that wants to bet the KC on the spread or the dog on the money line, which creates a little bit of market inefficiency whereby you can bet the favorite on the money line for a cheaper price than you otherwise would be able to bet. And so that's why a lot of sharp guys end up coming in at whatever point they want to and choose to bet the favorite on the money line. I'm not suggesting I'm definitely doing that. I'm just suggesting that is a strategy here. But I think this line is going to stay, to answer your question, pretty close to where it is right now because I think you're going to get fairly balanced action at the moment. Let me ask you a technical question since you you talked about that number with the over. And you and you mentioned the model. that you're, you, you looked at the model and you're, the model thought that the number should be a little bit lower. Is there anything that can happen in the course of your research that would make you defy the model? Or is the model the model? That's what it says it should be. And that's what I trust. What has to happen for you to not, for you to go against the model? Well, there's a, there's a few things that can play into it. So you've got health of both uh, sides of the football. You've got guys from both receiver cores that did not play in last week's game. Will these guys be playing in this game? What's going to happen defensively? Uh, you have like a guy like Winfield. He wasn't playing. You got two tackles that aren't going to be playing. So you're looking at some of the different health situations. Who's going to be replacing those guys? What else happens from a health perspective overall? Also, you look at the total now at 56, there's no value in, 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 in what the model says there's an edge, right? So all of a sudden, if it gets down to 55 and a half or so, or 55, then there could be, okay, well, now the model thinks that this number is, is probably closer to being accurate. So then what would you end up looking at from a handicapping perspective that could find edges? I could tell you some of the single biggest issues that I have in this game from trying to predict how many points could be scored at this very moment include how is the Chiefs offensive line going to hold up against this defense? How is Bowles going to f- strategize covering Tyreek Hill? And what are the Bucks going to do on first down? Are they still going to run the ball as much? How efficient will these runs end up being? Um, and so all of those things factor into what I ultimately uh, will do from a handicapping perspective to try to uncover value here um, 
from a total or try to come up with like where I think yep. that this total should be in terms of uh, from a betting perspective. That Eric Fisher injury feels like it could be massive. It's one of those that's yeah. under the radar. Casual fans uh, aren't going to pay attention as much, but this this guy is a all pro caliber left tackle, and you're going up against a team that just you know, I mean, they were they were on Aaron Rodgers' ass, and so well, <laughs> this you're right. Like one way to uh, slow down Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey is for there not to be time for the play to develop, and. You know, if the if his replacement can't hold up, they could they could really be getting Mahomes on the run quite a bit. There's no doubt about it, and uh, it's not just like we're replacing one lineman. Uh, I think four of their five linemen that were projected starters this season are not playing for them right now. Um, if you look at who could be their starting lineup, um, you have Mike Remmers possibly at left tackle. He hasn't played left tackle since 2016. Your center and your left guard are both seventh rounders. Um, now they're, you know, that doesn't mean anything, but just I'm just sharing that they're both seventh rounders. Uh, their right guard is Wisniewski. He was on the Pittsburgh Steelers earlier this season. They cut him in November, and the right tackle was a Wiley was an undrafted free agent guard who they've now going to be moving to right. Who, who's now playing right tackle for them? So. Um, there are issues there along that offensive line. Like what they planned to enter the season is absolutely not what is there right now. Um, and I think it's a testament to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and their greatness to stick with their plan, which is like, okay, we got all these backups. We got these backup tackles protecting our blind side, protecting the front side of Patrick Mahomes. Are they going to get scared and just run the football here like some other coaches would? I don't think that's going to be the case, right? They're still going to do what they do, what they know is the most efficient way to attack this defense. And it's going to be fascinating. That's why one of the biggest things for me is just that how does that protection stand up to Patrick Mahomes and how often is he going to get sacked on these times that he's dropping back and 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 how can he make up and offset that? Because you see... Um, First down, they could get an offensive holding, right? That's the other thing. It's not just the sacks or the hurries. It's, you know, the potential for holding calls to be called. And how quick are these referees going to be to call offensive holding, which, you know, you typically don't like to see a lot of flags in the Super Bowl, but you got to call a foul a foul if there's obvious foul. Like, I'm I'm always of the opinion, Chris, I don't know what you're, I'd be interested to hear your take on this one personally, but what do you like to see in the Super Bowl? I personally always sit at, if there's a foul, it's a foul. Like, I don't want to just let the quote unquote, let these guys play because different teams might try to bend the rules in different ways. They have different styles and letting them play might benefit one team more than it benefits the other team. I just want the the rules to be enforced the same exact way that they are throughout the regular season. I want the officials to be as good as possible when they're executing these rules. And I don't mind an earpiece buzz if they are calling something that's completely erroneous, but I don't want them to not throw a flag when there's a penalty that should be called. And I don't want them to throw a flag when there's, there's nothing there, but call what is actually should be called during the regular season. That's how I view yeah, the playoffs. I, so I don't think it should be called a different way, but what do you think? I'm a, I, I, whatever you decide, I want it to be consistent, right? Yes. I, I don't want you all of a sudden to start in, if you've let everybody, you know, hand fight the entire game, then. It, well, I'm not it, talking about the game. I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking, and, and, and I get what you're saying. Maybe you're talking about like a Hail Mary play late. And no, I'm just talking about the entire, no, no, no. I'm talking about the entire game. Like if you're going to let guys get away with shit the whole game, then that's the way this game's going to play. But if, you, if you're going to call everything, call everything, right? No, but what but, I'm saying, well, I get, I get what you're getting at, but what I'm getting at is if it's a foul in the regular season, do you relax the rules a little bit so you throw half the flags in the, in mm. the Super Bowl? Or do you just stick with what the rules are supposed to be as written in the rule book? And if a team happens to be holding a shitload in the game, then they're going to get penalized a fair amount for it early in the game so that they'll stop doing it later I, on. I would certainly game. lead more towards your way because otherwise you end up with the Rams-Saints situation. Right. You know what I mean? And it costs the yep. team going to the Super Bowl. That's yep. what it costs, right? Being lax costs them going to the Super Bowl. And that can't be. So I 
I would err more towards, yes, your side on this stuff because because the consequences of being lax on it, it ended up, at least we know very specifically, costing a team going to the Super Bowl. I, I don't I don't disagree whatsoever. I think they need to be as consistent and call things by the book as they were during the regular season. But we'll see. They typically don't. And so, you know, how often will some of these uh, backup offensive linemen be called for holding uh, guys playing different positions than what they've played most of their careers? Like it'll it'll be interesting to see because that pass rush got after Aaron Rodgers pretty quickly. All right. Dig your head in the books and the spreadsheets, Warren. I'm counting on you to give us the pick. I know we're going to spend the next week and a half talking about this is a great, great Super Bowl. We are, we are super lucky to have this Super Bowl. I mean, obviously, the media is going to love talking about, you know, the goat and baby goat and all this other type of stuff. I mean, it's a match made in heaven <laughs> heaven for them, tr- to be honest with you. But um, for us, even like trying to handicap this game or fans of studying football, I mean, that's my passion, my my joy. I take enjoyment out of trying to break things down and try to figure out what could happen before it actually happens. And um, and it's, it's going to be super difficult in a game like this because you got greatness on both sides of the ball. You got two of the best quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. Um, so it's going to be very difficult to try to forecast, but uh, that's part of the fun is the journey. And uh, it's going to be one hell of a journey trying to figure this one out. The good thing, though, about the Super Bowl, as you know, Chris, is that let's say even you break, I, I spend a week breaking down this game and researching every single angle. And I write this like Last year was a 40-page report on what on the Super Bowl. Every angle on it, what I thought think was going to happen, um, is just part of like my training for helping different teams. I don't give those teams 40-page reports, but I don't have two weeks to work on them either. Um, but then I come into this. You may not find a big edge on the side of this game. You might not be like, oh my God, Tampa Bay should have been laying three points here. You got to take a plus to three, right? Like that's not going to be the outcome of whatever your research is going to be, but you will probably be able to find edges in a variety of different props. And they post props on everything. Now, especially with these offshore, uh, oh, sorry, like all these other legalized books in the US trying to get in on the game and trying to come up with numbers. There's so many different props that you can get involved in betting uh, nationwide now that there's edges to be had even if you don't find an edge in the side or the total on the game just in the prop market. Oh, I can't wait to get your report to find out what the weekend's going to sing first. I can't wait. <laughs> I know you've got I know you've got an edge on that, Ward. We hit the uh, Coldplay uh, song a few years ago. When does they were he in the start Bowl. with blinding lights or does he close with it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, it, it definitely, it definitely, it definitely pays to have somebody on the inside at some of the rehearsals. Uh, I could just tell you that much. So. <laughs> All right, Warren. I'll be listening to you at house later this week. Uh, I know Kevin Clark is going to be talking with Danny Kelly. Uh, tomorrow as the NFL draft guide is going up on the ringer. So make sure everybody checks that out. Warren, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Chris.